Hi everyone, Lockie Mansell here. Welcome to Checkered Flag Chat, where our guest for this episode is Benal Auto Club Group CAO, Chris Lewis Williams, or as we all call him, CLW. The Benalla Auto Club is unique among Australian car clubs in that it owns not just one, but two permanent racing circuits, Winton and Wakefield Park. It also controls the Australian Autosport Alliance, the AASA, and the Australian Motor Racing Series, the AMRS. Chris has been in the top job now for almost five years. In our chat, he talks about the progression of the businesses over that period, the highlights, the challenges, and the plans for the future. So, let's get into it. Now, check and flag chat with CLW. Almost hard to believe because I think it was this time just under five years ago, or it might have been, yeah, there or thereabouts, that I was sitting with you in this same building here at Wakefield Park talking about what your plans were, having just been appointed as the CEO of the BAC Group. So, Five decades on, or it might feel like five decades, five years on, has it been everything that you expected after coming out of a background that was not actually working in the motorsport industry? Um, certainly 2020 feels like, feels like five decades. Um, so, yeah, my... I was fortunate to be on the committee first, so I sort of got an, an apprenticeship, for want of a better word, being able to see the business because been a long-term competitor at Winton, so always knew it was there. But um, being involved in the committee and seeing the size of the business, and then getting the opportunity to lead the businesses, um, yeah, it's been it's been busy and it's been challenging and it's been rewarding. So, and twenty twenty has kind of been the cherry on top of that. If we look back a bit further, when you first became the CEO, I think Winton got resurfaced the following year, and each year that there's been incremental improvements in each of the business units, and we'll talk a bit more specifically about each of the, the Banana Auto Club business units in a bit more detail, but in the last five years, have there been any particular highlights or any particular achievements that you're most proud of? The, from, from the start, it was about... Um, a bit of business 101 so the, the businesses used to be quite heavily hubbed out of Winton um, so the first thing was to make sure that each business was viable in a, as an entity on its own not just because it was piggybacking off the resources of another business uh, and so that meant finding good people to put into businesses resourcing them appropriately setting up budgeting, reporting, so that you, you give the team the information and the tools to be able to, to steer their business. So um, my management style is not micromanaging. I, I expect the guys to have a plan. I expect them to report back to me what's going well and not what's not going well and lean on me if they need it. Um, but, but I expect them to run their businesses and here we are in 2020 in a really challenging environment and and they're all doing really really well it, within the the constraints of what they're allowed to do so at the moment Winton is the most hardest hit um, but Wakefield here um, although interstate competitors you can't have but here we are on the Friday of New South Wales State looking at 
there's probably I think 80 guys doing test and tune today and there's 130 odd competitors over the weekend it's just great to see racing cars going around our tracks if we cast our minds back to when you first became CEO in 2015, at that stage there was quite a lot of politics around the wider Banana Auto Club group. And in particular, I remember there was a bit of, I don't know if controversy is the right word, but there needed to be some changes at committee level to avoid the potential conflict of interest associated with having people on the committee who were also employees of the business and I know that there were some constitutional changes that were were uh, agreed to by all of the Banana Royho Club members which meant that we do now have a very clear separation of powers between the elected representatives who sit on the committee and then the management um, with yourself obviously yeah. the, the head of the tree as CEO and then each one of the, the business unit managers. Yeah. How valuable or how important was that change in methodology of management structure for the long-term future of the BAC? So the, the constitutional changes needed to come about because there'd actually been some change um, at government level, state government level, on um, the, the rules that, that incorporated associations ran under and, and as a club we needed to update those. And then whilst I was on committee, um, it was about making very clear and very visible separation between the elected members of the committee and the employees of the businesses. So, and you know, we have the Benalla Auto Club that sits at the top as a, an incorporated association, which is the 100% owner of Winton Motor Raceway, Wakefield Park, the ASA, and a business called BACWMR which is actually the owner of this circuit so those businesses under Australian corporation law need directors those directors must come are the executive of the Benalla Auto Club but those companies can't operate independently all the decisions must come from the committee so we at when I was on committee it was all about getting that clear and defined and as policies for our business and then we knew that there was a gap um, in the leadership of the business and the committee decided that they wanted to recruit and that's when I put my hand up and said I would like to apply for that position um, on the understanding that yes I would need to step off um, as the treasurer of the BAC. One of the, the things obviously when you first came in is that I remember probably the first six months there were a few turbulent times with some staff changes and um, a few contractual decisions that had to be made in terms of pre-existing arrangements that you might have had with other um, organisations. How long did it take to sort of undo some of that stuff that might have been hanging over from the previous management group to get things more in line with the direction that you and the committee saw? Uh, not not over long. I mean, there was there were some some partnerships and some agreements that that we were in it as a business which uh, kind of didn't make sense for us and kind of weren't good value for us. Um, there were some customers that were that had very good deals that weren't in the best interest of the track or the club and you, you just identify those and unpick them one by one and yeah there was some, some difficult conversations had and um, but 
but that's business, you know. It, it, my role and the role of the team is to do the best for the business they work for and the club as a whole. And that's what we've done. We've gone through and made sure that every deal that we're in and every arrangement that we make um, is in the best interest of the business and the club. So, yeah, although there were some, some difficult conversations, I think we've always been um, clear on the path that we wanted to take um, the businesses and the club down. Um, and as long as we stay true to that path and the instructions that I get from the committee, because I'm the instrument of the committee. So there are, at the moment, 10 and as you know, Lockie, you volunteered your time for the committee. There are 10 people that volunteer their time for the best interest of the Benalla Auto Club. And their job is to oversee me and provide me the guidance and for me to deliver what they see as a vision for the club and for me to share back to them where we're going. So, yeah, yes, you're always in business. Sometimes you have really nice, easy conversations and sometimes you have to have hard conversations. You make the decision and you move on and I think history has shown in these five years that overwhelmingly we've made good decisions for the business and the businesses are going forward. Let's talk more specifically about the businesses then. So the Benalla Auto Club is unique among car clubs in Australia in that it actually owns a couple of permanent motor racing circuits being Winston and Wakefield Park. Mm -hmm. But... One of the things that I'm sure became very obvious to you very early on is the fact that even though they're both permanent racetracks, the landscape of motorsport in Victoria compared to New South Wales is different. So you do actually have to take quite different approaches to maximise the the business value, I suppose, that you can get out of each one of the racetracks. How much of a challenge has that been? Uh, yeah true surprising how different um the new south wales motor racing landscape is to the victorian landscape and being a a vic state competitor for too long 15 or so years um you know vic state racing is is run by a group of clubs who get together and uh take on the financial risk of running a series hire the track promote the event get the competitors to come bada bing and then you come to new south wales when it's managed by um, the New South Wales Motor Race panel who just say, this is the event you've got and here's the categories you've got and be it City Motorsport Park or Wakefield Park, have to just put the event on. It's like, um, no, no, it doesn't. I know that's maybe how it's worked in the past, but five categories doesn't make a race meeting or, you know, we need more entrance to make that viable otherwise that weekend might get sold to somebody else that will make more money out of so but again it, just another one of those business conversations that have to be had so um you know what's been not surprising but you know, the amount of land that we have you know 350 acres at winton and just under 200 acres here we have the big sites but they're not you know racetracks and pit areas take up a lot of space they need an incredible amount, amount of maintenance. Um, and you know, it's one of the things going forward is that the customer expectation of what is seen as the minimum standard for, for um, facilities now, we're a little bit behind. You know, we were in the early days right at the front. You know, 
you know, all those garages at Winton and the carpooling garages here at Wakefield. You know, we've got good amount of those, a lot, you know, more than most other circuits, but you know, they're not probably to the standard now that places like Sydney Motorsport Park, Bathurst, the Bend, Phillip Island set as the standard, and we don't want to be the business where oh, got to go to Winton, oh, got to go to Wakefield, <clears throat> but. There's other elements that need to fall into line before you make those investments because you look at a, a building like the Benz pit lane, there's several, not counting the, the um, accommodation on top, there's several million dollars tied up in that and you need to make sure that that's the, direct, the correct path for the business before you agree to spend the money. So looking specifically at Winton, mm-hmm. in the, the time that you've been overseeing the group, uh, how has Winton performed overall as a business unit? We've seen there have been a couple of changes in management. Obviously, when you were there, Wayne Williams was there and he was very proactive and did some very good things, decided that he was going to move on towards the end of 2018. And then uh, beginning of 2019, in quite a good coup, I would have thought, for the BAC, you managed to recruit Jeff Grex, somebody who has a lot of history in motorsport and will be familiar to fans of the top level of motorsport through his time in, in V8 supercars in particular and at um, several teams, including the Holden Racing Team, for which he was synonymous with a large part of their success. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose how valuable is it having somebody with Jeff's passion and competitive drive as the leader of the Winton business? So, um, again, Wayne, when I started, Wayne was acting CEO. Um, he was put on as like an, an operations manager. And then uh, when Brian Pearson left, uh, Wayne stepped up into the role and then went through the recruiting process and I was successful. Um, and, yeah, what Wayne, you know, some great things at Winton. Um, oversaw the, the resurface project, um, you know, developed some, some competitor-based stuff um, and again, Win- Winton gets a bit tied up in a in a V8 supercar bubble. And people think that the only thing that defines Winton Motor Raceway is is supercars. And as a business, supercars, although I believe it um, it pushes us to deliver an event of a standard, uh, it doesn't define the business. Um, it, it, it's it's an incredible amount of work for not necessarily a massive financial return. Um, and that's been one of the things we've focused on is to make sure that that event runs in the black and you know, negotiating with governments to get support, um, getting recognition for the amount of tourism dollars that get spent over that weekend. But that's one weekend out of 52. You know, Winton always has something on on a weekend and has things during the week. And to get recognition for that and to get um, an understanding through... Uh, governments that having a motor racing facility just outside your town is actually really, really good for your town because by and large the competitors that come are coming from a distance and they need to stay and they need to eat and they need to buy fuel and that all, all that expenditure needs to get credited to us and we, we've done an okay job thus far sharing that message but we need to do a better job um, to make sure we do that more. And then, yes, to be able to, to uh, or for Jeff, firstly, to want to apply, um, 
and as a guy that's run you know race teams but also been heavily involved with HSV and HRT in their halcyon days uh, you know he's, his contacts through the industry are really strong um, he's he's very good strategic thinker and, and, and very good at ideas but I think Jeff will admit that having not run a racetrack before and gone from the competitor side to the racetrack management side it's a big jump and uh, racetracks um, it's it's uh, it's a big jump but he's, he's he's doing a good job modifying his his business and management style to be running the running the racetrack and there's opportunities that we've got being presented in front of us now that are as a result of, of Jeff's contacts and you know he and Jane have, have made the tree change you know they're they're in Benalla and um, they're committed to the business and it's it's those illustrations of commitment to the business that you, that that give you the comfort that you know they're in for the long haul that they, they want to be involved around the business for a long time and they want to help make it better. So, with Winton, I mean, probably putting to one side just for now the, the COVID-19 situation that we're in at the moment, but um, what have been some of the challenges associated with Winton as a venue? We'll, we'll get on to, to some of the challenges with Wakefield Park shortly as well, but have there been any specific political types of challenges with Winton? Not political so much. Um, Winton... Uh, has has to work harder to fill midweek compared uh, with Wakefield Park, and that comes about a little bit of historically, Winton was used a lot for tyre testing, um, which used up you know Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays for one of a better word for for a description that. Um, yes, the track was busy, but it wasn't financially fantastic. You know they weren't paying full track hire fees. So, you know, as a result of that, we didn't go looking. So because the track's full, but it's not really. So that's, that's what we've been concentrating on, finding midweek customers. And so that's industry, that's driver training, uh, that's race team um, practice, those kind of products that are happy to use the, the facility Monday to Thursday because we know Friday and the weekend we can sell. You give me 104 weekends, the team at Winton will sell those days. So that's what we've got to get better at doing. And and this year was actually looking very good, except for the coronavirus. So, um, but we'll continue to do that and continue to to investigate what facilities we need to be able to service those customers. Turning our attention to Wakefield Park, which is where you and I are right now recording this podcast. When you first started, we had Matt Barabwanath as the circuit manager here, which at that stage I was still a full-time employee of the BAC group based here at Wakefield Park as well. Mm-hmm. And we've already had Matt as a guest on this podcast and he's talked quite candidly about the fact that when he first came on board, he had to make some quite tough decisions that were not always popular among the existing customer base or uh, even the staff members in, in some cases as well. Um, but in saying that, 
as I mentioned in that episode of the podcast, I think that sometimes Matt doesn't necessarily get the credit that he deserves for making some changes that even though might not have been popular, they were necessary in terms of setting the future direction of the business. Um, you, were, you were overseeing Matt at that stage. How did you see that whole era playing out? Um, absolutely, Matt was the right guy for that time of the business. So, um, you know, previous management uh, was, was a bit management by... Um, by sub-arrangement. So the motorcycling business here, you know, the track day business and racing was essentially run by Terry O'Neill, who was a tenant here, and um, he was basically left to run it and the revenue flowed back to Wakefield Park. And the car business was a mixture between John Boston and... Who, who was in the sign-on room used to be there? The man that... Mike, Michael Na- Navybox. Mike Navybox. Who very sadly passed away passed last away. year. Yeah. So, and but when I started, Mike had, had already started his health challenges and that... But I know he was very active here prior to that. So they were just sort of left to run the track. So Matt came here as a, as a much... And this also comes back to the separation thing that we were talking about before where... Um, Matthew Ronk was the manager here, but he was the secretary of the club and active helping his brother Adam with his tampered track days. So he couldn't be here. So you had effectively subcontracted your business to the providers on site who ran the days for you. So we knew that that wasn't, the, in our opinion, not the best way for the business to function. So unpicking those arrangements and making them more commercial um, and fairer. Matt and I developed uh, an acronym of TTP, which, you know, if there was a customer that was here that was had an arrangement that was too heavily skewed in their favour, TTP is taking the piss, right? And, you know, if the arrangement's not fair, then it needs to be negotiated so that it is fair. And the key asset for motorsport and and... Some of the things that uh, motorsport sanctioning bodies don't fully understand is that the curvy bit of bitumen out there is the key asset for motorsport. Not cars, not drivers, not officials. It all bundles up to make motorsport work. But without tracks, you're administering nothing. So that is what the strength of the BAC and, and, and the strength of the Shahins and Glenn Matthews at the ARDC and um, John Tetley at Queensland Raceway and Lakeside and all the, all the relationships that we've now established is that we as track owners need, need to be more united and stronger and vocal that bitumen's the key um, and more than happy to work with anybody but you need to recognize the value of the bitumen and it's expensive right maintaining repairing resurfacing bitumen is expensive and um there's there's a fee for service and and it's only going to to rise as you know everything gets dearer going forward so yeah so uh, matt matt was the the right dude for the right time and did a good job here um 
tidying up deals and growing the business. Um, you make friends and you lose friends along the way, and you know, Matt learnt that here. But um, you know, he talks a big game, but he's a big softy underneath. And um, yeah, look, I we you know that's why that when the opportunity came back for the AMRS, you know, that's why he's back working with the BAC because you know, he he put on good race meetings, good liaison with the competitor groups. So you know, but young family, you know, wife and young family back in Melbourne, so that called back. So. Um, and then super fortunate to find Dean. So I hadn't met Dean Chapman face to face until his first day. You know, he was based in Thailand, um, working in the motorsport industry over there. We interviewed him over Zoom, um, and he's a good dude. And and he's just taken off, taken further what Matt established. Um, and you see it here now. You know, in terms of the presentation, the facility, the way the team's working together. Um, the way he's um, managing the the sound um, challenges that we have here, it's just the business has just continued to go from strength to strength. So this business is in a good space. And that segues into the next thing that I want to talk to you about because as good as the venue is looking, and I know that Dean has driven a lot of improvements since he came on board, but unfortunately uh, there is this overhanging political issue which is very much centred around the noise emitted by Wakefield Park and uh, unfortunately some uh, rather vocal residents who have decided that uh, they will object at every opportunity to noise that's been created at the Wakefield Park venue and I know that the, the uncertainty around the noise issues despite the fact that Wakefield Park is an unbelievably massive economic driver to the Goulburn region and the wider Southern Highlands region here in New South Wales. Uh, even despite all of that, um, I know that there have still been some big roadblocks and obstacles in terms of dealing with the local government, and that has probably put a lot of question marks around venue upgrades because why would you invest money when you've got a pool of uncertainty hanging over the future of the venue. Um, I know that obviously some of what you can talk about is probably confidential, but where are things actually at with the the noise situation at the moment? So everything stems back to the original development application that was written for this venue back in 93, I think. And it's not the world's best document, and it's certainly not how... um, DAs are written these days so uh, we negotiated uh, what's called a prevention notice with council um, last year um, and finalised at the the beginning of this year just to clarify the operations of how Wakefield works because everybody just wants a nice clear black and white document that clearly explains how the venue operates when it's allowed to operate, what noise it emits. Um, the, although the conversations around how beneficial we are to the region, that still needs to follow on from us complying to the DA. And we believe, even though the document isn't perfectly written, we believe that we comply to our current DA and to the prevention notice. 
there are a few residents that don't agree with that opinion and have their own, which is the way of the world. So, um, you know, we've invested heavily in technology to, to manage the sound, or not manage the sound, to monitor the sound and manage our activities to that and have spent significant money on noise experts because noise is a strange thing so but also to some people hear it differently and particularly when you're aggrieved by it you know a, a standard road car running around here on, on a still day can send some of our neighbors crazy because they just don't like the fact that we're here but we're here and we've been here for a long time so our goal is um, within this year to tidy up the DA completely so at the moment we have an old DA with a prevention notice. The goal is to tidy up that DA so that there is no grey um, that will go to the market and, and we will be in contact to the motorsport industry to say, we will need your support. So when the council calls for submissions around this DA, we will be communicative to the motorsport industry because we need the people that come to Wakefield Park, the, on, the only reason they come to Goulburn is because of Wakefield Park and they stay two nights and they buy fuel and food and grog and they go to the pub and all that and they do that three or four times a year. Um, that support is what will illustrate to council that overwhelmingly the, the benefits that having this facility um, provides outweighs two or three residents that don't like the fact that we're here and that there, there will be some stuff um, out in the press later um, and in the socials later in the year when we need the motorsport industry to come and be vocally supportive because the squeaky wheel gets listened to and um, what you don't get is um, the positive message going out. You get the negative message and that's what we need to communicate. So there's more work to be done, but we're, we're in a better space than we've ever been in. Um, and we have a great relationship with the council now and they know that we're people that uh, they can work with to find a solution. But but certainly, you know, having the circuit closed down for periods of time or, you know, not being able to do stuff, um, do activity is, is not in our best interests. But finding the right kind of activity, corporate day, driver training, things that are more road car orientated rather than race car orientated, that's how we're going to broaden the usage of the facility and, um, and also have periods of lower noise as well as higher noise. So. Well, over the last three months or so, I think it's fair to say that we've all had a bit of a test run for what would happen if the venue had to shut down and the businesses in Goulburn have also therefore had a test run of exactly how bad it is to the economy when you don't have people travelling to Goulburn to participate in events at Wakefield Park that are not happening. So hopefully that uh, raises some awareness of just how valuable Wakefield Park is to the local economy. Once you get all of this DA business sorted out, which I'm confident that you will, what further upgrades and developments would you like to see here at Wakefield Park? So one of the things that we want to do here is about pit lane upgrade. So what was 
um, an okay pit lane is now n not of the standard that the com competitors expect. And we know that. Um, also, for the type of customers that we'd like to attract here, um, you know, think Sydney Motorsport Park, pit lane garage, nice corporate facility above, latte, driver training, that kind of stuff. That is, um, that's a facility that we need here. But both Matt and, um, and Dean have sort of hacked together a kind of a corporate facility in the in the uh, workshop, you know, and it's okay, but it's still a tin shed with some black curtains and some tables and chairs. So, you know, when you want to attract Porsche, Ferrari, uh, Ford, Hyundai, all the manufacturers to come here and do their new vehicle releases, we don't have the right product. We don't have the right product, and we know that. So, but before we're going to spend that money, we need to make sure that our future is certain. And that's what the DA process does. Get the right foundation done, know that we've got a long-term future here, and then go, right, this is what we believe will add value here. This is what we believe will attract the customers that we want here. And um, come up with a plan, get it financed, and build it. So that's Wakefield Park, but of course, in addition to the two permanent tracks, Wakefield and Winton, the Benalla Auto Club also owns the sanctioning body, the Australian Autosport Alliance, or as we know it, the AASA. And one of the things that we've seen in the last five years is that AASA has very much expanded its reach right throughout the motorsport industry and certainly not restricting itself to just circuit racing, branching out into off-road and extreme events and all these other disciplines to the point where it's now sanctioning events pretty much every weekend right around Australia. So from your perspective, has the AASA grown at the rate that you expected or, or planned it to when you first came on board as the CEO? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was when I first got there. Well, actually, so when I was on committee... Adam Ronk stepped down from his role at Winton Raceway and stepped up to a role at the AASA and actually moved the AASA out of Winton to a little office in Benalla. And that would have been mid-15, I guess. Uh, then Adam chose to leave the business and um, we put Russell Kelly in the AASA and then actually found some space, some better office space in Wangaratta because Bruce Robertson, first former president of BAC, and was always very active around the AASA, and his businesses were based in Wangaratta. So it allowed Bruce to oversee AASA, and it certainly helped me in my learning of all the businesses to have somebody like Bruce there helping Russell drive the business. Um, and for it to start spreading its its wings and Bruce is hugely passionate about the double AC. You know, we all know the history of how it started. It started because track owners got upset with how much money they were giving to the cams of the day. So, um, and, I, and look, that is still fundamentally the reason. The, mar the market allows choice. Uh, if we were doing a horrible job, we wouldn't be growing. And 
we believe that we listen to the customers. Uh, we try very hard to be easy to deal with. Um, and in more recent times, certainly putting Stephen White uh, into that business, somebody that's hugely passionate about motorsport, um, it, it's just going from strength to strength. And again, if, if we weren't relevant and the customers didn't see value in us, we wouldn't be growing and we're growing. So yeah, we, we just continue to, to have opportunities presented to us and, and we have conversations with, um, with the customers. And if it makes sense to do it and, and, and we can make it work, then we do. And it, sometimes it doesn't work and, and you walk away. But yeah, the mantra around the ASA is absolutely, we would much rather people choose to use us rather than be forced to use us. And um, yeah, that's that's the that's the choice. That's what customers want. They, you know, if if we fit and we're we're relevant, then good. And if we don't, then don't choose us. So, you know, I think uh, one of the things about the renaming of CAMS to Motorsport Australia is that they really need to be Motorsport Australia. If they want to call themselves Motorsport Australia. They need to be Motorsport Australia, which is not um, denigrating you, not denigrating your competition. Like if if a customer chooses to go to the ASA rather than Motorsport Australia, go and ask the customer why. Don't don't ring them and say, well, if you permit with them, oh, they're really unsafe and oh, they're not compliant, and because the customers made that choice already. So you need to ask them why they made that choice. What what was it about our organisation that meant that we weren't the right people to choose? And that's all we've done with the WSA. Are we relevant? Are we easy to work with? Do we provide you the cover that you like? Yep. So you know, there, there's there's an opportunity that that could benefit all of motorsport and stop this. Um, you can't race there or um, you can't official there or you won't be able to be a senior here or it's just it's so detrimental to motorsport and it it just takes up energy that could be better spent on our sport and there's there's a place for all of us out there and we know we're not chasing supercars we're not chasing the formula one grand prix we're not we know where we fit and overwhelmingly the customers see that we fit in a particular space well. So would you not try and learn and harness from that? Oh, sorry, learn and harness that rather than try... In my four years and eight months or nine months or whatever it is, um, I've not seen anywhere where the strategy of criticising, threatening has put them in a better space. Not, not once. So surely the marketing department goes, mm, should we not look at this a different way? But I'm super pleased with how, um, how the ASA is progressing and the work we've done online with the customer portal, you know, with a self-service portal for licences, um, for vehicle passbooks, you know, that's all going to 
roll into the permitted space as well and effectively the customer manages their own portfolio and you know, it's not rocket science, the banks did it years ago. You go and manage your own stuff and only come and see us when you've got a problem. That's what we want to do, we want the customers to manage their own data and manage their own database and manage their own event and um, make, it, make us as easy as possible to deal with. So you touched there on some of the criticism that's been aimed at the AASA from cabs or motorsport Australia, as it's now known, as the AASA has grown. Is that, in a way, almost a backhanded compliment that they're starting to see more customers gravitating towards the AASA and seeing the organisation as genuine competition now within the marketplace? I don't believe Motorsport Australia see us see the AASA as competition. Um, I think they just see us as an annoyance. Um, the, okay, the, the market allows for more than one. Look at America. There's 30 of them, and they all coexist. Sit around the table, have discussions for the betterment of motorsport. And I guess that's the disappointing thing about here is, is, is it's a kill, crush, destroy um, mentality rather than a conciliatory one and it, it is what it is you know um, the, what, what the next five years what's the next ten years look like I don't know um, we will just continue to be open communicative reactive to customers and if it makes sense for us to work together we'll work together if it doesn't then we'll ask what, what don't we have at this particular point of time and so often it's history you know, um, and, and we get that. You know that 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 people have been aligned with CAM slash Motorsport Australia for a long time. We get that. That's fine. If that's your reason for staying, fine. But then don't complain when you don't like the way that you're treated or don't like the way that they um, the the layers of of um, of bureaucracy they put over your event. If you want to be with them because of your history, then you've got to take the good with the bad. So. Yeah, we'll just continue to, to okay, it's, it's business 101, it's the customers, you know. It's never been easier in our lifetime to communicate with anybody, be it phone, socials. You can get your opinion out and your story out, as you well know, with 15 clicks of a keyboard. So um, that's what we've just got to keep doing. Unfortunately, one of the things that's still quite apparent to me is that even though the AASA is growing and it's sanctioning more and more events, there's still this perception, particularly within the motorsport-specific media here in Australia, that because the AASA doesn't sanction the very top-level events, be it supercars or Formula One or Bathurst 12-hour, that somehow it's still at a lower level to motorsport Australia and it's more about the, the state and the club-level competitors rather than the high-profile national-level categories. Do you see that perception as a challenge for the AASA or do you think that it doesn't really have that much of an impact because you already know who your customer base is? Yeah, I think the latter. Mm. That, um, and, and look, you never say never. When I say, if you had have said to me, well, you guys are going to be the sanctioning partner for the... Uh, Australian National Off-Road Championship. I would have not that I actually knew what off-road racing was at that stage. So we've all, you know, as the AASA, we've certainly learnt that. But no, uh, we've just ticked them off one by one. 
Now, if supercars came to us and said, would you be interested in sanctioning? Of course you'd have the conversation, but you've got to make sure that it doesn't overly drain the organisation of resources without, without a fair return. Um, other dis, you know, at the moment, you know, you look at the the national motorsport space, and with the deal that Motorsport Australia and ARG have done, with the you know new categories with TCR and S five thousand coming along, so that's taken track time space at um, Shannon's what's it called Smack Shannon's Smack. Motorsport Australia Championships. Yep. yep, the world's longest name. Um, so that's taken track time from categories that traditionally would have been invited to be at Shannon's Nationals events. So now you've got reasonably high-profile categories that need track time. Now, to get track time, somebody needs to buy that track time and become the promoter, so the the financially at-risk um, party to putting on a motorsport event. And let me tell you, there is not a big queue of people that want to queue up and run motorsport events. So... You know, for, for like at a national level circuit race because Motorsport Australia run the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships and then you've got the state level motor racing events but for a national category to get onto those <coughs> you t- you're trying to get track time from a state category and you know that New South Wales states they're full Victorian states they're full so how are these guys going to find race meetings to be able to drop themselves onto it? So that's a gap, you know, and that's why AMRS, you know, Wayne Williams, his idea was that with diesel utes coming and replacing V8 utes, that the V8 ute guys would need somewhere to come racing. So why don't we start up a national um, series that allows those guys to keep the cars active? History's shown that that didn't occur that well, but there were other categories that put their hand up and said, well, actually, we'd like a national series. So AMRS hasn't had the smoothest um, uh, introduction into Australian motorsport, but to the credit of the Benalla Auto Club Committee, it's seen as a way for the AASA to step up to a national level. Um, but also for us to give back some more to motorsport. But the categories have got to support it. And certainly Matt had a great plan for this year lined up. And, and the Rona um, you know, has undone a lot of really, really good work. But uh, the basis is still there. And the support from the categories has been phenomenal. Now that we all understand what we're going through. And being able to to secure track time and and secure categories to put events together um, when the world t- turns back into some kind of normal um, we'll be ready to put the events on and and hopefully there's a, a, a big swell of competitors out there that are ready to ready to come on let's talk in a bit more detail about the AMRS because like you say that came along at the beginning of 2018 as a national level series that was going to be encompassing a range of national categories and also state categories augmenting the calendar or the, mm-hmm. the program at some rounds. And we saw that Wayne Williams was the series manager for the AMRS in the first season and then he obviously 
left the Benalla Roadhoe Club group and moved across to the Ben Motorsport Park. And we had a couple of management changes in 2019 with Kevin Stoopman involved for the first half of the year before Matt Baragwanath came back into the fold in the second half of the year and has remained as the series manager for the AMRS in 2020. How have you seen the progression of the AMRS overall? Because like you say, it's had some peaks and troughs. One of the highlights for me was the fact that uh, we were able to get the stadium super trucks to appear on the program at Sydney Motorsport Park in 2018. And that was just an opportunity that presented itself. So cams at the time after the wheel coming off at Barbagallo deemed that those vehicles could not run in Australia and and they were here. So we had um, our race meeting coming up at City Motorsport Park. We could fit them on the program. Um, we actually thought that it would drive some crowd. So we had, remember that race meeting, we had a lot of GTs there. Um, and also to Rod Salmon, was quite connected into the Sydney market. So he helped us do some promotion and advertising via um, his contacts in, in New South Wales. Um, history shows that, no, it didn't drive a lot of crowd. There were plenty of eyes on the, uh, on the live stream. Um, and it allowed, you know, we formed a relationship with um, Robbie Gordon, Nathan Kayser, Jason Smith. I mean, Russell Ingle got to have a drive. Paul Morris was there. Paul Morris was there. Um, and again, and Paul Morris is becoming more aware of the ASA and the Manila Auto Club of late because he's got Brock Feeney and Nash coming down to Sydney to do the um, XL mm-hmm. series races with MRA. So, you know, they, they know how the events run and how it all works. Um, so, yeah, yeah. AMRS hasn't had the start that we envisaged and we certainly, we always knew how to run events at our venues. Um, that most of that translates to other venues. The venues and, and race being promoting is a fe- effectively a fixed cost business. You hire the track, you get the medical staff, you do your marketing, your promotion. Everything is about getting competitors. You know, we're, we're not... We don't set the events up about being crowd events. Um, any crowd is, is just cream for us. The events need to pay their way through participation, through competitors. And that's what Matt had done in planning really well for 2020. Here we are um, with a couple of false starts. Um, let's just hope that once the Rona's gone, we... Um, we can start putting on some events because there's some great categories that are there to support us and opportunities that are coming along more and more because people want track time and they want track time at circuits around the country so that they can have their nationals. So, Yeah, it's been massively frustrating for you and for Matt and obviously myself as well, involved doing the media for the AMRS. But despite all of the the disappointments with the fact that we've had to suspend and postpone events this year and we've only had one round so far as we record this podcast and the the scheduled second round unfortunately has had to be cancelled again because of the 
the coronavirus situation, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. And one of the encouraging bits of news to come out over the last week is the fact that the Australian production car series, owned and managed by Ian Sheridan, his business, Ontic Sports, has decided to shift across from being a Shannon's Motorsport Australian Championships predominantly on their calendar to being on the AMRS calendar. So even despite the the disappointments this year with the AMRS, you'd have to say that to have a category of that calibre choosing to move across, that is still a big feather in the cap for what the AMRS stands for. Absolutely, but Ian Sheeran didn't get a choice. There's no track time at Shannon's Nationals events. So, um, and we've been talking with Ian for quite some time and there's an opportunity he, he wants he wants to put events on for his um, competitors but it's not his full-time business and um, he's he's a passionate motorsport guy that ended up having to become a motorsport promoter so that he could have an event for his production cars and he, he's tried a whole range of different things of um, the Phillip Island access events running there and trying to get track time out of other places and and for, to, to be able to align to a motorsport promoter and <clears throat> at the moment yep AMRS is run under the AASA yeehaw but if if a basket of categories came to us and said look we need some events but we absolutely have to run under Motorsport Australia then the Benalla Auto Club, so, so a subdivision of the Benalla Auto Club at the moment is called BAC Events. Um, there's nothing to say that we went, okay, well, we'll set up a four-round championship with Motorsport Australia sanctioning and we would just run two series. I mean, running motorsport events is what we do. So you, you just run two series. Yeah. They've just got to pay their way. So that's, that's the thing. And that's, I guess, one of the things that competitors don't fully understand is they look at their entry fee and go, oh my God, it's so expensive. But running an event is expensive. You know, tracks, tracks are expensive. Um, and, and all the services are expensive. Permitting, medical. Thank goodness we have this amazing group of motorsport fans that love officialing and love to be involved because they want to get close to car racing because without the officials um, a competitor's entry fee wouldn't be what it is now it would be three times um, and you know we just hope that goes for as long as possible but you know with with people's lives getting busier and busier you know having people to have the ability to be able to donate weekends um, is, is getting harder and harder but that's what it takes. So, yeah, I mean, our goal for, we call it AMRS, but let's say for BAC events, is to just promote profitable events, whether they are circuit, tarmac rally, burnout, drift, off-road. I don't mind. If it's an event that makes money, which therefore is good for the club, that's what that business will continue to grow into. And um, you know we've got some big plans for BSA events where AMRS is only one arm of the of the promoting to that does. Looking forward to hearing more about some of those plans very soon. I'm sure.
So we get to where we are now, Chris, and uh, unfortunately for all of the plans that we might have come up with at the start of the year, all of those plans have had to be significantly modified, tweaked, tuned, put on hold or otherwise completely discarded in a lot of cases because of COVID-19. What challenges has it presented? And and this is a fairly open question, and I'm sure that it, it probably impacts each of the businesses a bit differently, but yeah, how how much has it affected and what have been some of the things that it has affected within the BAC business units? So right at the start, when it was beginning to emerge that this was going to be a serious impact on the business, um, the Benal Auto Club executive, which is um, president, vice president, treasurer, secretary and um commercially savvy um, committee member we sat down and went okay so what 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 are we trying to do do we just shut the door and tell everybody to go away and we'll rebuild after and to the absolute credit of the the committee it was okay let's secure the team let's maximize any revenue that is possibly available by looking at the restrictions of the day turn off any co- as many costs as we can um, and then be as, as business ready as possible for when COVID goes. So that meant, and this was pre-announcements from the government, this was a commitment from the committee to not unstitch the team that we've spent four and a half years building. Um, and it's really nice to get that level of support from from effectively my bosses so that's what we did we then crunched numbers we ran spreadsheets we negotiated with suppliers um the job keeper was announced and you know, to the credit of the federal government that's a great program f- for us being able to secure the staff um we looked at at jobs and things around the businesses that normally you don't get time to do because you're busy running events and get those things done um, tidying up, organising, focusing on the little things that you don't normally get to do. And then as restrictions were announced, look at how we, how we could possibly do things within that. So if, if you're a, a professional team, we see or we saw that, that coming to test at Winton was actually work and you could always, always go to work. Um, so we came up with a plan for, from Wakefield and from Winton, communicated that to the... We always worked hand-in-hand hand with the local police because we knew that they would be the enforcement arm if, if it was deemed that you were operating outside the, the COVID restrictions of the day and overwhelmingly got endorsement from them to keep doing that. Socially distanced, set the venues up correctly and away we go. Now, certainly not the revenue levels that we are used to, and certainly not the revenue levels that allows the businesses to run in the black, but the other incentive programs, cash flow boosts, deferment of taxes, refund of taxes, all done by the governments, has meant that the businesses have actually survived really well. And in June, um, got back into the black. However, COVID version two in, in Victoria, um, has tightened things up again and particularly Winton at the moment because of that the Melbourne 
um, CBD being cut off. That's uh, where so many of the customers come from. So that's making quite a lot of the events at Winton not viable. Whereas here at Wafer Park, you know, New South Wales, New South Wales, so a New South Wales state ran is going to run because it's got good support. So that's what we're doing now. As of uh, Tuesday when the, the or Monday when the latest round of restrictions uh, were announced, we're now just looking at each different event, where the competitors are coming from, is the event going to be viable, what have we got to do? So I guess at the moment, I don't like Mondays or Tuesdays because that seems to be when all the government announcements come out. So uh, we've gone from not having a supercars round to having a supercars round to having it postponed. We've gone from having Vic State to not having Vic State to having AMRS to not having AMRS. And, but you go into the weekend thinking, yeah, cool, yeah, ne- next week, yeah, next few weeks are looking pretty good, calendars are full, and then an announcement comes out and then a follow-up announcement comes out and then everything that we had set up, we have to then rejig to see if we can fit it within the, the current restrictions of the day. So it's, uh, it's been hugely challenging for the team, but operating always under the knowledge that we've got the support of the committee um, to, to, to get through this, to get the businesses back, being able to function as quickly as possible after COVID's finished. So yeah, it's not how I dreamt 2020 would be. Um, it's probably, if anything, made me a bit hungrier going forward, um, that there are things left undone that I would have liked to achieve by now, and COVID's delayed some of those. So we'll, we'll forge on. On our last episode of Check and Flag Chat, Dave Stilwell and I had a discussion about our expectations for what COVID's impact was going to be on the wider motorsport industry, mm-hmm. particularly looking at national motorsport categories. And one of the things that we discussed was the fact that some of those recreational competitors at the top level of the sport, um, you know, the, the successful business people who might be racing in categories like the Australian GT Championship or Porsche Carrera Cup, the optics of racing at those high-level events that require big budgets might not be great given the economic hardship that a lot of people are about to be suffering. And equally, the young aspiring professional racers who might have been competing in categories like Carrera Cup or the Development Series, they might find it a lot more difficult in this environment to get the sponsorship to be able to continue competing at those levels. Is this actually an opportunity for the AASA and for some of the the smaller club-level events to pick up competitors who still want to go racing but maybe can't afford to race at an elite level anymore? And I say that having seen the MRA round on the 13th of June, which was the very first race meeting to be held in Australia post-lockdown under AASA sanctioning, and the enormous fields of cars that we had in all of the categories that weekend. I think the smallest field was 28, and there were two categories that had over 40 cars that weekend. So, you know, as, as bad and as tough as this is for a lot of people, are there actually some opportunities here? There are always, always opportunities. There's a quote, and I'm not sure whose quote it is, but it's like, 
don't ever waste a good crisis. Winston Churchill never waste a good crisis. So, um, yeah, look, absolutely. There, there's there's always an opportunity to be found, and if if you can't race your Porsche, but you want to race something, yeah, do you know? Look, I think over the past probably five years, the XL series has shown us that. People want to go racing at an affordable level. You know, I don't know, there must be 500 cars built by now. And, um, you know, hatched out of a little idea out of Queensland and here we are. So there is a whole market out there of people who want to go racing. So they just need to find the budget that fits them. You know, even Pulsars, which is super strong in New South Wales, um, hasn't translated particularly well to other states. But that's another category that's relatively inexpensive to run. Um, so HQs out here in the pit area at Wakefield today there's God, there's got to be 30 of them 30 to 35 of them easy so um, yeah Lockie there's there's always an opportunity um, we don't know yet fully post-COVID who's going to have money left whose businesses whose business has been affected who has had to button down the hatches um you know, motorsport is a, is a nice to have, not a have to have. So if you're struggling through business, um, you just park your car and then it doesn't cost you any more money at the moment. So we just don't know exactly what that landscape's going to look like until um, we can start running events in a more open market pre like it was pre-COVID and then we'll see who's still around. Um, and... You're right. Maybe the lower end is 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 what might be stronger. You know, are governments going to be able to justify spending tens of millions of dollars putting together street circuits for one-off events? Is that going to be seen as the right way to be spending money when um, people and businesses are out there struggling? So we've just got to be ready. We've got to listen to the market listen to our customers, listen to the opportunities and be ready to, to react. So just finally, Chris, I know that you're obviously an avid motorsport competitor and we've seen you in the Porsche 944 series where you've had a lot of success. You've won a few state championships, but we haven't seen you competing as much as what you have previously. Do you miss it? And will we see you back in a race car on a more regular basis at some stage? So there's, so there's been a few a few things on the boil. So we built a house in 2018, um, which consumed the racing budget. Um, and I did, I think it was 18, the middle of 18, I did the Shannon's Nationals round at Winton. Um, I do need to do a race this year to keep my Motorsport Australia licence current. So I will do one this year. Do I miss it? Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys, even pre-COVID, that, you know, it wasn't the right thing to be spending uh, money on motorsport whilst we were getting the house done. So, and then, yeah, so just financially at the moment, it's not the right time. But, yep, do I miss it? Absolutely. Um, do I not enjoy seeing Campbell win all those races when I was, used to race door-to-door with him? No, I don't. Um, so, and I, you know, I mean, I, Cam came through nine for four um, and worked his way towards the front of the field, and he's just a 
good guy to race with. You know, I, to go door handle to door handle with Cam through turn one at Phillip Island at 185 k's an hour, not a problem because you know he's he's a good, fair, clean racer. You probably won't say the same about me at Winted where I was a little bit wide because <laughs> I, I was a bit rusty and, and not quick enough and he'd been racing all year and he was faster, but I was able to keep him at bay for one race. But, um, yeah, I, I miss it. I want to get back into it. Um, but at the moment, there's other priorities. But the car's there. I've got a project car as well, which I'd like to like to finish off um, maybe towards the end of this year, early next year. So... Yeah, I'll, I'll get back out there at some stage. I'm probably not at the level that I was um, previous. Um, yeah, do a few where I can. But um, that's been one of the changes of, of having this role is that motor racing circuits, which were always fun places to be um, because it's where you came to escape work and, um, and have a bit of a head clear, motor racing tracks are now a place of work for me and probably surprisingly is the wrong word but it's kind of changed my uh, impression of what what a race circuit is it used to be just a place where you came and hung out with your mates and enjoyed car racing over the weekend and went to the pub and had a few drinks and had a meal and told stories and talked about how fast you were and yeah absolutely enjoyed some success and 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 it's always good when, you know, you're instructed to do a particular thing with the car because that's what the data says you should do and you go and do it and it works and that turns into a race win or a, or a lap record or a whatever it be. So, uh, yeah, tr- my racetracks are, have a different vibe for me at the moment, but I'm sure I'll be able to find a bit of a balance between work and play um, and uh, see what 2020 and 2021 and beyond holds. So, we're just about finished here, but as we always do on Checkered Flag Chat, we finish up with the Checkered Flag Choices segment. So, it's just like speed dating. So, I ask you five questions and you answer them. So, let's do it. Checkered Flag Choices. Question number one, what is your favourite holiday destination? I'm not good at holidays, Lockie. Uh, do like the high country. So, um, yeah, Victorian high country. Who are three people that you would invite to dinner? Simon Sinek, Norm Beachy, Wayne Rainey. Why those three? Uh, Simon Sinek is a a business um, motivational speaker, um, clever guy. watch a lot of his stuff online. Norm Beachy, because I grew up listening to Norm's stories, so, um, yeah. I think he'd be. He was always. I was. I was much. I was a kid, but I think he'd be. Always have a good story to tell, and um, I think there's a lot of untold and unrecorded stories for Norm, which would be good to see, or hear. Sorry, and uh, Wayne Rainey. So, yeah, was a fan of of him in the nineties when he was racing, and uh, believe it or not, our first Staffordshire Bull Terrier was called Rainey because we picked her up. The weekend he broke his back so uh yeah we had a rainy running around our house for 15 years so and always just came across as a as a quality guy good fair racer what is your dream car mm, 
this changes a lot, Lucky. I've, I've been fortunate to have some nice cars on the journey, um, but as you get older, you get a bit more practical. What I, what I have always really liked is those the Audi performance wagons, like the RS4, RS6 kind of thing. But these days on the hot, you just can't enjoy them. Like you're pinged for three kilometres an hour over the... So as I've aged, I would have a practical road car and a good race track car. Fair enough. What's the best advice that you've been given about motorsport? I, I guess just do it. Like that. If, if, if it's something you want to try, have a go. Um, I mean, I, I, like I started very early just through, through Dad that all of a sudden we were doing go-karts. Okay. So um, you don't know until you're there and... I guess it's one of the things we talk about, you know, at sort of track level and and double ASA level is we're all kind of spoilt because we know the ways into motorsport because we're around it. But if if you're not, um, how how do we we take the mystery away from it? How do we show somebody that's actually not so daunting to go from this side of the fence to that side of the fence and then find yourself on the track? So, yeah, I guess if if that's advice, it's, yeah... just have a go it's you know and you, you might surprise yourself how much you enjoy it and the last question who is the racing driver who you respect the most the guys that are, that are multitaskers that'll drive anything so uh, colin bond maybe that could turn his hand at anything maybe um jimmy richards that that would just loved to drive and did it effortlessly but was quick. So, yeah, that, that kind of realm where guys that it's not just a circuit-based discipline that, and you know, being fortunate to do things like Target Tasmania and, and that that stuff is, you know, have a, have a closed road and being able to enjoy the car, you know, would so yeah, Colin Bond, Jimmy, I think so. Awesome, Chris. Always a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, thanks very much for your time and for all of the insights that you've given us. My pleasure, Lucky. Anytime, you know that. Permanent motor racing venues are an integral part of the Aussie motorsport landscape, so it's reassuring to have people with CLW's combination of passion and business acumen overseeing these facilities. We thank Chris taking time out of his busy schedule to be part of our podcast. That's all for this episode of Checkered Flag Chat. I'm Lockie Mansell. Thanks for listening.